Wednesday turned out to be a rough day for the cryptocurrency markets. Good evening, I'm Nick Day and this is Late Confirmation from Coindesk, bringing you the top stories from Wednesday, November 14th. Also on today's show, the NYDFS has issued the state's 14th bit license and Messenger AppKick is finalizing its permanent shift away from the Ethereum blockchain. And we've got something a little different today. We'll end this episode with a discussion between Coindesk's Nolan Barley and Andy Neri of MarketWatch. The two publications recently conducted a sentiment survey of their audiences, and the results were pretty interesting. We'll have that and more on today's show. Zion Trades is a simple, responsive online platform enabling experts and beginners to trade cryptocurrency and altcoins, including Bitcoin and Ethereum. Zion Trades, a better way to trade at ZionTrades.com. Bitcoin fell to its lowest price in over 12 months on Wednesday amid a broader cryptocurrency market sell-off. According to Coindesk price data, as of press time, Bitcoin's lowest point in today's session is $5,669, the lowest reported price figure since November 11th of last year. Wednesday's session opened just under $6,300. Its price has since slightly recovered, now trading at an average price of about $5,634, representing a roughly 11.5% decline over the past 24 hours. The developments further indicate that what had been an extended period of little volatility in the cryptocurrency market may be over. A new bit license has been issued by the New York State Department of Financial Services. The lucky recipient? The New York Digital Investment Group. NYDIG can now offer crypto-related services in the Empire State. According to a press release, those services will include liquidity and asset management services to New York residents. Further, DFS has granted permission to a NYDIG subsidiary to operate as a limited-purpose trust company. That subsidiary, appropriately enough, is called the NYDIG Trust Company. As such, NYDIG is now able to offer custody and trade execution services, including services for Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ether, XRP, and Litecoin. These services include self-custody, contracting with a third party to offer custodial services, or contracting with NYDIG Trust or NYDIG Execution directly for custody services. Next up, Messenger app maker Kik is quitting Ethereum for good as it continues to develop its cryptocurrency, dubbed KIN. Launched on Ethereum early in the ICO boom, KIK has now announced that it will close KIN's atomic swap with Ethereum. Without specifying a date, the KIN Ecosystem Foundation said Wednesday that it would soon release a tool for moving KIN holdings off of Ethereum. KIN's token has had several homes in its short life. Ethereum scaling issues have been a concern since November 2017, and since then, KIK has developed a two-chain strategy involving Seller and Ethereum. In May of this year, it abandoned that strategy when it determined that Stellar's extremely low transaction fees were too much at scale. The project decided to fork Stellar so it could eliminate transaction costs entirely. With that move, and this new announcement, Kick is moving towards complete independence from either chain. One of the Bitcoin community's most beloved veterans just got a promotion. Revealed exclusively to Coindesk, Casa has elevated Jameson Lopp to CTO eight months after he joined the crypto custody solution startup as an infrastructure engineer. In this newly created position, Lop will focus on making sure the company's products complement its annual $10,000 premium vault service, with a waiting list that already includes hundreds of Bitcoin users. For example, the startup has sold more than 500 Casa Lightning nodes, a device introduced in early September which taps into a second-layer scaling solution for Bitcoin transactions called Lightning Network. As a service-oriented startup, 
Casa will focus on trips and tools to help such subscribers manage long-term Bitcoin storage, including inheritance planning and protecting their hardware wallets. In addition to upkeep on the Bitcoin-centric node product and key management service, LOP will help develop complementary products and investigate how to keep all these devices safely up to date when Casa adds support for other blockchain-based assets beyond Bitcoin. For more on today's stories and to subscribe to our newsletters, check out Coindesk.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Coindesk. And as a side note, Coindesk has officially launched its Crypto Economics Explorer, a new visualization tool aimed at providing a comprehensive look at the health of the ecosystems built around various crypto assets. Check it out at coindesk.com data and let us know what you think. And coming up next, we'll have Nolan Barley and Andy Neary on the results of a joint sentiment survey. Stick around. For Coindesk, I'm Nick Day. This has been Late Confirmation. Welcome, everyone. I'm joined today by Andrew Neary uh, from MarketWatch, Dow Jones. He's the head of Customer Insight. Um, and so I'll give a bit of backstory before we even get into the survey that we did together. And, and really what it's about um, is to compare audiences. That was our goal from the start. What we wanted to do was to show that we are seeing a kind of confluence, you know, when salt water meets fresh water as it heads out into the, the ocean. We're seeing two worlds colliding, um, a, a, a financial system, rails, value, um, assets moving in this, in this new decentralized economy. And in the past year, it has caught the attention of the incumbent financial system. And there has been a real thirst for information and insight from these traditional media players. Uh, and we're joined today by one of the most important in the world, um, one that put together one of the world's most important indices that tracks and is generally used as a proxy to, tra to track uh, economic growth in general. Um, and from there, they have also created an, a tremendous markets insight uh, arm where they do a lot of research into who their readers are, who their audience is, and to feed them with valuable insights. Um, something that Coindesk can definitely learn from because they have a tremendous amount of, of experience and we were honored to work with them. Now, um, I want to start the questioning with that sort of line of, of inquiry about Market Watch and, and when you guys saw this stuff happening, what was going on and, and what did you think was interesting about cryptocurrencies that, that led you to want to learn more about the audience and to serve them with interesting information? Mm. Um, it's a really good question, actually. So um, for anyone who's not familiar with uh, MarketWatch, it's uh, one of the leading financial news and information sites out there. It welcomes around 40 million people every single month who are keen to understand the kind of news and latest information and what that means for them and their money. So it has a mix of kind of financial professionals, um, people who have um, significant investings of their own, or people that are just passionate about kind of the, the world of business and finance. Um, and I think everyone became well aware of uh, crypto. I think the big spikes that we saw in uh, kind of Bitcoin pricing, for example, around about 12 months ago, uh, couldn't fail to capture the eye of, you know, even 
the kind of common man on the street, really, in terms of the, the growth that we're seeing. Um, and so really trying to provide a little bit for um, the audience on Market Watch who were passionate uh, about those kind of areas. Um, there was an increase in the amount of associated content and data that we started to provide for um, those particular audiences. Um, and really it's, what, 12 months down the line where we've seen maybe Bitcoin come back down a bit and has arguably entered a little bit of a, a protracted period of stability now. Mm -hmm. um, actually to understand where people's heads are at from the more, I guess, traditional kind of side of things. Mm -hmm. um, so there's certainly a subset of the Market Watch mm -hmm. audience that is very, very passionate about um, crypto. Mm -hmm. And although we'll discuss this study as kind of Market Watch as a whole, um, one of the things which did come through and was evident was that there, there was a pool of people that actually was very, very similar to the Coindesk mm -hmm. audience mm -hmm. in terms of their habits, in terms of their passions, mm -hmm. um, and their, their degree of interest and uh, kind of faith in um, the, the crypto markets going forwards. But taken as a whole, I think this was the opportunity to really understand um, how the uh, broader investor really saw the cryptocurrency market as it is mm -hmm. now and uh, where actually they thought it might go in the next few years. And I think you mentioned uh, that about the surprise that some of the audience, and we'll get into the actual results uh, of the survey shortly, but it's true. I mean, a lot of your audience isn't sentimental about preserving a financial system. They want to find a way to make money. And a lot of them have said, well, OK, it can happen here. So I'm not trying to support uh, an entire you know, system of Wall Street and all that. They just want to make some money. Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh. I think you know, there's, um, there's people who maybe are a bit more used to the way things are with um, more traditional uh, kind of securities, but um, they're certainly not uh, naive to some of the opportunities which do still exist out in the market. And um, they're always very keen to be up to speed with um, what some of the latest uh, you know, new um, innovations and the like actually are, particularly when there's opportunities to make money off the back of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's dive in. Um, you know, we decided to do this this comparative study to really try to harness audience sentiment and opinions, and then see what the differences were between them. So what we really were after was the difference, and what we did was we made sure that we put the survey together. We made sure that we were aligned on the questions. We made sure that the questions would be interesting to Coindesk's audience because these are people generally who are living la vida crypto and are always doing crypto stuff and are always addicted and curious and, and, and after any little bit of information. Um, and, and we made sure that, this, that the questions would be interesting to that audience while also being accessible to the MarketWatch audience who have multiple other interests, not necessarily 100% devoted to cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. Um, so that was a challenge. Um, let's talk a bit about that, Andrew. Just, just making sure that we calibrated these questions so that we were able to attract both audiences, but also not let anyone know that this was being done on both sides, that we were targeting audience without any uh, mention that it would be a comparative study, and then uh, again on your side, uh, not mentioning that it would be a comparative study. Yeah, it was a, a, a tricky uh, kind of process, I think, finding the right balance between um, not necessarily treating any of the audiences as fools, but mm -hmm. then also not necessarily expecting that they're gonna know every kind of nuance around um, the crypto market if they're less familiar. Uh, with the ins and outs. So I think there was um, certainly consideration that went into uh, the kind of balance and choices of questions that we decided upon, mm -hmm. um, which enabled us to kind of tease out 
um, the the aspects for as broader an audience as possible without leaving people maybe scratching their heads and wondering what on earth we were talking about. So yeah. um, I think where we got to was uh, something which which worked pretty well for for both audiences. I think there was a, a degree of um, of comprehension and understanding at what we were trying to get through without necessarily tipping our hat that we were necessarily looking to compare mm-hmm. these two audiences mm-hmm. against each other at the time. Mm-hmm. So to begin, um, the audience themselves and their habits, we did find a certain amount of similarity that was there. So one of the uh, first questions that we had were, you know, what do you own in traditional investments? Uh, On our side, on the Coindesk side, we saw that there were a lot of people who own traditional equities, real estate, other holdings. Um, And on the MarketWatch side, it was very similar. So... Was this a surprise to you? There were a few outliers, of course, The the um, and we'll get to that on Bitcoin, but for the traditional assets, did it surprise you that so, men, so much of the Coindesk audience um, was sort of diversified? Uh, in some ways, yes. Yeah, and that's um, maybe uh, just an ivy to on my side around um, the audience that you actually had, but certainly the kind of rough shapes of the graphs mm-hmm. were, were similar in mm-hmm. that um, there were... Uh, Coindesk audiences which did have um, kind of considerable holdings in more traditional areas um, but then it um, it definitely rang true around the market watch audience as well that uh, we know that there's investors who are heavily involved in these particular markets that some of them are very very successful they've got sizable asset um, levels uh, available to them and that was borne out again with with the this research that we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so interesting that that the people using trade platforms, the, investing on the CoinDesk side, weren't all necessarily only in crypto. They had other stuff, and and to both of us, that was a surprising. Um, speaking of trade platforms, uh, it's time to mention very briefly our sponsor, Zion Trades, who brought this survey to market and helped get us and surface all of this information and help us get a line to go out and, and do this important work. Um, so thank you again to our sponsor, Zion Trades. So following it up, there was an interesting result in the profile of audiences. So. We asked the question, do you own traditional securities and bonds? We followed that up immediately with, do you own any Bitcoin? Um, We were surprised to see that there were several large categories of holders. So we asked respondents to mention how much they owned. And the numbers were not so different. Uh, When we get into the range of, um, let's say, 5,000 to 20,000, um, worth of Bitcoin, our audience, about 20% was, was holding that much. The MarketWatch audience was not so far off. It was, you know, a little less than 10, so half. But nevertheless, 10% of the MarketWatch audience were a holder of an important amount of Bitcoin. It was non, not, definitely not zero. There was some interest there. So that was another surprise. Um, but the one that really stuck out, stood out, um, to me anyway, was that in MarketWatch, there were over 50%, over 50% of the respondents did not own Bitcoin and were not interested in owning Bitcoin. So what does that tell you? Um, What kind of insight would that give you to your your audience? Um, I think, and this is borne out in some of the areas that we'll we'll come on to actually, that um, there is a degree of caution at Mm -hmm. the moment from the MarketWatch audience that perhaps uh, they're still waiting to see where where Bitcoin kind of nets out after Mm -hmm. some of the movements that um, we've seen over the past uh, 12 months and beyond. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
that actually, you know, they're, they're aware of it. But jumping off the back of that, I would say one of the things that I did find even more surprising when combined with the fact that they're supposedly not interested mm. in Bitcoin is that they're checking prices almost as frequently as the uh, as the Coindesk audience. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so although they're not interested right now, maybe it's not the right decision for them, um, there is a desire to remain in the know just to make mm -hmm. sure that they're not missing out on mm -hmm. an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, so while it's a no, not right now, mm -hmm. um, I definitely think this isn't an audience that's saying no, not ever. Um, yeah, and, and the question definitely wasn't posed as no, not ever. It was not at this moment. Sure. Um, and w would it... Would it would it suggest that there still is this sort of um, specter around Bitcoin that remains there from the Silk Road days, sort of a, um, a hue that hasn't been taken off yet, that there is uh, perhaps um, a lack of appetite for some of the associations that Bitcoin has? Would that be one of the reasons why perhaps this number came? Or is it just a wait and see, unsure, see where it goes, see how it grows? I mean, I think they kind of go a little bit hand in hand. Mm -hmm. That um, you know, we've we've seen Bitcoin to go hugely up and mm -hmm. then hugely down again. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the elements kind of associated uh, with uh, with Bitcoin, be that the the faith in the blockchain or the degree of regulation which exists, all adds to kind of elements of uncertainty, mm -hmm. which perhaps tips um, the feelings of risk a little bit too far into the direction of actually maybe not for me right now. Mm -hmm. And and you brought up the results on price checking. And it is amazing that that there does seem to be, they were almost exactly aligned as far as, as the Coindesk and, and MarketWatch audience, checking prices daily. Um, that was by far the the largest category uh, where respondents answered. And, and it was still in the range of about 50% of our audience is checking prices daily, and 50% of the market watch audience is checking prices daily. Um, I wonder if you think this is a, a, because the price is more actively displayed around the world now, that you can actually see more references to the Bitcoin price. It'll tick on some of the major financial news networks now, whereas a year ago it was absolutely nowhere to be found on any of these. Um, do you think this is an active thing where people are still curious on the daily uh, to see what, what the prices are? Or is it just sort of, it's around now, I check the prices of everything every day and, and Bitcoin as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe a little bit more of the latter, actually. Mm -hmm. We know um, that our market watch audience is extremely hungry for data. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, we we're promoting this survey on the market watch site, which mm -hmm. has the availability of Bitcoin prices. Mm -hmm. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if they are factoring in uh, Bitcoin prices as part of their kind of daily trawl of just broader checking mm -hmm. on what's mm -hmm. going on in the market. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, certainly that data is more readily available than it would have been. So um, it's easier to kind of stumble across, mm -hmm. um, even when it's not major news sources that mm -hmm. are commenting on some big spike or big fall either way. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Yeah, really interesting. And the other habits that came out to be really similar, um, we asked a question that bucketed respondents into, are they hodlers? Are they uh, passive? So are they just investing and, and, uh, and letting it stay as a hodler would? Or are they active? Are they every day buying uh, dips and, and, and selling peaks? And, and, or are they none of the above? 
And our answers came out to be really, really similar. What did that tell you about uh, about the habits of traders in general, not necessarily crypto people or um, you know traditional financial uh, products? I certainly suggest that there's not a huge difference mm. at all. That mm. there there is a similar pool of people that are looking to trade every day and mm. they're constantly on the go. Um, and uh, actually, there's people that are just as happy to maybe take a step back and mm. let things settle for a little bit longer mm. and try and find the right moment to mm. capitalize on the opportunity as much as they can. So, in in a sense, um, trader psychology is universal, and the uh, appetite to be a risk taker or or to sit on your investment and wait is immaterial of what you're actually investing in. It's a personal thing, and it'll break sort of similarly, uh, you know, irrespective of the product. Absolutely. So I think people's appetite for risk uh, will vary from one person to another, but um, that will always manifest itself in uh, a particular kind of approach to investing. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, even if you're risk tolerance is a little bit higher, there's still a good chance that um, you'd still be mirroring the mm-hmm. kind of wider community mm-hmm. with your actual activity. And and so on the Coindesk end, we had a, a, a high percentage of respondents that were accredited investors. I think around 20-something were accredited investors, 20-something percent. Uh, each of our groups, by the way, had about 1,600 respondents for the survey. So we had very similar... Um, uh, pools to draw from. That wasn't by design, it just happened to be that way. Uh, Like we said, we both put the survey out without um, signaling that it was a comparative study and there would be another audience there. But that was pretty interesting that the same amount of respondents came in and that the habits were so similar. Um, So moving on from, let's say, the habits and the profile of the audiences a little more into their views specifically. Um, so the first one that really stuck out in this study, the first one that really showed a major, major difference in, in opinions, um, and it was probably the, the starkest of, of all, a lot of similarities in the study, but this one was, was really stuck out. And it was a question that we asked on the views on risk. Um, so we asked the question, do you think Bitcoin is a risky investment? Um, the Coindesk audience, uh, in the first column, yes, it is risky. Um, um, too risky to buy was, was you know, 4% or 5% of the Coindesk audience. Whereas with the MarketWatch audience, it was near 60%. Near 60% said Bitcoin was too risky. The options we gave were, yes, it's too risky. Um, yes, it's risky, but everything's a little risky, so that's fine. Uh, I'm okay to take a bit of risk. On that one, um, the Coindesk and, and MarketWatch audiences were very similar. Um, but on the first question, on the first answer, the first option for answer, um, is it too risky? The MarketWatch audience said really too risky. Um, a, a large portion said not interested. Um, we followed that question up, I think, with a really important one. Um, and it remains one of the great value propositions of Bitcoin, the security of the technology itself. Um, and, and I think a lot of the Coindesk audience is very keyed into that. I think a lot of them really know what it is they're buying, and that is security. They're buying a piece of a secure network. Um, so we asked the question, which do you trust more, the Bitcoin blockchain or banks' cybersecurity? And we related these in our own methodology to the risk appetite for the asset. And what we came up with here was that the Coindesk audience, over 75% 
um, believe that the Bitcoin blockchain is more secure than all of the banking sector's um, cybersecurity protocols. Um, and it was almost inverse uh, for, for that. Do you think that this is perhaps a barrier for the complexity of the technology where a lot of people haven't, let's say, gone down the rabbit hole is sort of a cryptocurrency uh, lingo. There's, it's got its own language, the crypto world, right? There's a lot of Alice in Wonderland illusions. Um, but they definitely saw, they definitely believe that the security they're buying um, is a result of the technology and that's what makes it not a risky investment. Um, has that barrier does that bear still exist in the, the more traditional mainstream audience that MarketWatch uh, attracts? Have they been able to put those two together? I think this question actually shows that uh, certainly for a portion of the audience, um, that barrier is very real and mm -hmm. still exists. Um, that Whether that comes from uh, some of the lack of direct understanding of the, the nuance of, of how it all works or um, whether there's a little bit of a, a sense of um, blockchain maybe going some way as a bit of a a bit of a buzzword that's mm -hmm. kind of around in the industry at the moment that we, you know, we've seen back in the day with things mm -hmm. like big data and AI, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's constantly being um, touted as a solution to many, many different things. And whether that's true, a magic or not. bullet, exactly, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. um, which maybe confuses people a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a word that people will bring up mm -hmm. as uh, as an item to solve um, mm -hmm. anything and everything. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think um, people certainly in the, the broader um, sort of investor world, uh, do have kind of ongoing faith in what they're used to. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, change mm -hmm. is always a difficult thing to kind of embrace. Um, new technologies, particularly when um, you're combining it with uh, something which has fluctuated quite as much as, as Bitcoin, mm -hmm. um, can bring about a degree of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, there's maybe a degree of a lack of... Um, I suppose transparency in some ways that there's not necessarily because of the decentralized nature mm -hmm. um, you know there's not the transparency of who it is that you're necessarily trusting mm -hmm. who is the actors who are the actors on the other end mm -hmm. um, that you're engaging with whereas for some of the traditional um, trading audiences at least um, they're still going to be a lot more used to ah, there's the person I'm mm -hmm. going to do a deal with mm -hmm. then shake hands and get a deal done so mm -hmm. um, I think this is one of the areas certainly which contributed um, significantly to uh, the degree of uh, uncertainty and um, the lack of tolerance for, for risk of Bitcoin, which would actually get them to invest. Yeah, and, and I would say it's it also perhaps speaks to a bit of the, let's say, history of, of the cryptocurrency industry and the history of normal financial assets, which, which MarketWatch and Dow Jones has been at the forefront of for over a hundred years now, um, it's I guess a, a, a debate that isn't even clear to the whole world or even to the cryptocurrency industry. Where you know CoinDesk itself, we're really out there following the technology and and all the other stuff that goes around it. There is a component of what we follow that is about trading and assets and value and and investments and and all that stuff. Um, but it's sort of subordinate to the larger question of the technology and, and, and all that stuff. So I think in our case, it's very easy for the Coindesk audience to draw that line. They are, you, know, you can't say why everyone's interested, but a, but a real portion of the Coindesk audience is interested in this stuff, not for the market side, and, mm. and although there's a lot of people interested in that, 
they're interested in the technology, so it's easy for them to see the risk because that's the reason why they're interested in the first place. They're interested in the security that it will provide. Um, whereas the, the MarketWatch audience is definitely coming in a straight line down from the investment side. They're coming straight down from the, the uh, trading side and the investment side and the money side. So it's a very linear relationship and, and, and a deviation for a lot of these people would be to learn about cybersecurity and protocols and, and although an interesting thing and, and definitely an investable piece of information, mm-hmm. but probably a little more specialized. Whereas it's the funnel. It is really the top of the funnel in the Coindesk audience, um, or at least one of them. Um, and, and so right away we see that the characters of these audiences are, are definitely, um, from the genesis, different. Very much so. Actually, flipping the question on its head, uh, did it surprise you that uh, almost one in four um, of the Coindesk audience are still kind of trusting in the more traditional protocols? It, it really did. Um, that was a surprise, just like in when I saw going back to some previous questions uh, about um, being interested in Bitcoin, some of the Coindesk audience was not interested in owning any Bitcoin. They had no no desire. Um, and even to see that that you know, a sizable portion, a sizable portion, uh, over almost 40%, almost 40% of the market watch audience was in agreement with the Coindesk audience on this, that the Bitcoin blockchain was more secure than banks' protocols. Um, that surprised me. That was, I think, something that stood out. We, we, we talk about the difference here because the Coindesk number is so high that trust Bitcoin but the number from the market watch audience is not insubstantial. It's a real percentage of respondents. That is, you know, in that survey, 700 and someone something people out of out of 1600 said, no, no, no. I think Bitcoin is more secure. Um, I'd say that's real progress in some ways for the Bitcoin story. Um, that that size of a proportion of of the market watch audience said, uh, I trust Bitcoin more uh, than the banks. Uh, security protocols. I found that to be to be really fascinating and amazing. So uh, I'm glad you 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 asked for the mirror image of that question because it is definitely true. Definitely Absolutely. True. And I mean it would have been interesting to see how this had looked twelve months ago and twelve months into the future as yeah. well, you know, yeah. how the whether the proportions would have flipped around mm-hmm. and uh, there'll be that much more trust in the Bitcoin blockchain. We we tried to tease out one question um, that would have brought a little more clarity on this, and that was a question that we asked on the Cambridge Analytica issue when we said, you know, do you think that, that the um, widespread adoption of this technology could help solve things like the Cambridge Analytica question? Unfortunately, I'd say our results are a little too inconclusive because both audiences... Um, were they, they, we offered I don't know as an answer to not force people to say yes or no and feel pressure if they didn't know something to answer yes. And, and, and we definitely wanted the option of I don't know because it is a complicated question and not everyone has um, connected those dots. Uh, and it is speculative anyway, so we're, we're all kind of guessing that it's an answer. Um, some people think it is. Um, but nevertheless, that question is in the survey, and you can have a look at it. The answers are interesting, but I would say we can't draw any definitive conclusions uh, to add to this current uh, line of, of, of inquiry. So um, have a look at the question, have a look at those answers, and and I think you'll have um, some interesting stuff to chew on. Unfortunately, not enough for, for us to draw conclusions here and, and build any further than, than just do you trust... Um, um, this one, uh, do you trust these protocols, the Bitcoin protocol, more than than bank cybersecurity? 
So moving on from the question of risk and security, um, what we definitely saw was we, the, the market watch audience holds Bitcoin in important amounts. Um, they definitely see some of the benefits uh, and, and, and security aspects. But when it comes to owning cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin, the story was different. Um, in the Coindesk audience case, you had about over 50% that were interested, uh, that do own a cryptocurrency other than Bitcoin, um, whereas the market watch responders seem to like the blue chip crypto more than anything else. And the numbers were really low on what they owned. Um, so would this say that the sort of quality of Bitcoin has been able to pierce this veil and go into a more mainstream audience, whereas the other currencies still lack that sort of uh, momentum to get past that hump? I think that's probably safe to say. I think mm -hmm. um, for the, the wider market, there's uh, almost a degree of um, Bitcoin being a bit of a synonym for cryptocurrency, really. Mm -hmm. if, if you're talking about uh, cryptocurrencies in the mainstream, it's it's almost Bitcoin that invariably you're thinking about. And uh, because there's maybe less publicity and uh, less coverage mm -hmm. of some of the other options, mm -hmm. um, there's that's maybe impacting on the degree of, of awareness, of mm -hmm. trust, of kind of consideration. And, and I think also just of the maturity itself Absolutely. of the space. Like a lot of these are definitely, I mean, you would get a lot of we call them Bitcoin maximalists, that would be 100% in line. Uh, and this is an important sub-community of the wider uh, cryptocurrency world. These people believe it's Bitcoin and, and or bust, right? It's, that's the chain, that's the coin. Other stuff could be built off it. They have all kinds of varying opinions, but they're called maximalists. And I would say they're completely in line with the uh, the market watch uh, sure. ideas. Maybe a little more knowledgeable about the faults of other coins and 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 some of the issues of some of the other protocols, but uh, but nevertheless, interesting. I wonder if there are some Bitcoin maximalists within the market watch community. <laughs> I would think so. Yes. <laughs> there might yeah, be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There might be. There might be. Um, so now that that. We, we, we know that there isn't necessarily a huge appetite currently for some of the uh, other coins out there. Um, there is an interesting question about if we are talking about quality, if we are talking about um, what is a blue chip cryptocurrency or not. Um, we're obviously talking about the sophistication of the asset, the sophistication of exposure. And so we asked a question along the lines of institutional onboarding. Um, and this one's interesting because the results could play out in the short term and we'll sort of have a better idea of which audience has predicted the short term and, and long term future. Um, so we asked, do you think large institutional participants will enter the cryptocurrency markets in the next, and we offered a timeline, in the next year, in the next two years, in the next three years, or they will not enter? Um, and we asked these questions, um, the survey went out in early September. So this was before the Fidelity announcement. Now, the Fidelity announcement doesn't necessarily mean institutional players and money is there. They're merely making it available. So it's an institutional product. So the question was not about institutional products coming online. It was, will participants enter and will money follow? Um, and on that one, we had a, a real big difference. There was there was a lot of similarities in the next two years. A, a, a large portion of the market watch audience thought it's coming. 
it's it's sort of within this year, next year, or the year after. I think combined, those would have given you about a 73% uh, of the audience believed that they were coming within the next three years. The Coindesk audience believes that the institutional participants in the tune of about almost 60%, they are coming this year. This year, important institutional money will enter this year. Um, the Market Watch survey had an important uh, difference here as well, where over 40% said they're just not coming, period. They'll never come. Institutional money will not come, which I think suggests that that percentage says that maybe this thing doesn't have legs. Um, but that might be reading too far into the results. Um, so the good news is we'll know uh, shortly who was right because... You know, the Coindesk audience has one year to prove uh, that their their assumptions were correct, and 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 the Market Watch fellas, you know, it might be forever. Uh, we don't really know, um, but nevertheless, there is sort of a short term benchmark for the veracity of of some of these uh, um, collective opinions. Um, what did you draw from from those results? Um, is is it is it fair to say that we can? Uh, settle this debate in the next year, or is there still some some nuance that'll be coming? It's a good question. I think, uh, yeah, certainly the, from the CoinDesk side, they seem to have uh, pegged their uh, colours to the the next twelve months mast, and that's fair enough. There's uh, sort of fewer than one in five of uh, the market watch audience that are actually um, in that same boat. Um, so similar proportions to mm -hmm. some of those that have maybe dipped their toe in the mm -hmm. water with mm -hmm. crypto already. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I think. Actually, there was taken overall, I think, as you covered, um, mm -hmm. the, the kind of market watch audience is typically of the belief that it will be coming mm -hmm. and probably mm -hmm. at some point in the next three years. Mm -hmm. um, but there are those who are perhaps maybe less likely and certainly less confident in uh, the prospects of cryptocurrency mm -hmm. um, that yeah, just maybe can't see a way. And, 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 and perhaps along the Rubini line that, that at a certain point it won't reach, let's call it exit velocity, that there will be state actors that coordinate to limit the um, usefulness of it. Uh, who knows? Their arguments could be very sophisticated as well, and, and Bitcoin certainly um, has threats. Um, or at least uh, obstacles for its its true widespread growth and utility. So it continues to be a, a, an interesting network with lots of, of great participants and all that, but there still is another level before it, it can become this sort of world-changing um, um, technology and, and, and really reach its full potential. Um, so I think that's probably what this, this, this question was getting at. And, and, and fair enough, there are people who can say um, the obstacles are too great. We'll get to some of the obstacles later. They're another part of the question. So we did dive into those a little more. Um, we also asked the respondents if they're aware of um, any institutional quality products. So things that are already out there that are institutional quality. And by that, I mean... Right now, we've got the futures markets. There is no ETF yet. That would be the type of institutional quality product that we're alluding to. Uh, the futures markets are because they are um, merely ways to um, get uh, exposure without actually holding the asset. But that will change. The, I, the BACT, so uh, from the Intercontinental Exchange uh, Group, um, the owners of the New York Stock Exchange are currently building a platform that will allow um, um, Bitcoin-denominated 
futures markets. So that'll be a different thing. Um, but nevertheless, some of those products out there. But it seems to be that both audiences were were relatively similar in their their knowledge of exposure to these. There aren't a ton, right? There aren't a ton. So um, it seems like both audiences are, are are sort of in the know about what's out there and and and, and what's still still to come. So, um, <clears throat> so with this sort of um, let's say. Uh, confidence, with this confidence around institutional money coming in, with this confidence or understanding of the security models, um, we can start getting into some people's opinions on price. We asked respondents to compare current prices. Um, are they about right? Are they overvalued? Are they undervalued? Um, so we asked them for a suite of uh, other top coins. So this was not a question related to Bitcoin, but it was one related to other coins. And once again, we had a bit of a difference. Um, the Coindesk audience believed that most of the um, coins out there were uh, undervalued. Um, so I'd say we got about 60% of our respondents said the current prices are a bargain. Um, it would have been the exact opposite. Uh, the market watch folks had over 60% who said they're overvalued. Once again, we are not talking about the price of Bitcoin here. We are talking about the price of other top coins. So Ethereum, XRP, Bitcoin Cash, um, which are the question, which are the coins examples that we listed right in the question. Um, about right, uh, about 25% of Coindesk and about 15% of the MarketWatch audience said about right, so that, that was pretty similar. Um, but the overvalued and undervalued were different. Once again, the Coindesk audience believes that everything's a bargain right now. Uh, and the MarketWatch audience says, uh, they're still a little high. That bubble hasn't quite receded to its, uh, its, its maximum um, um, you know, depth. Um, so. Would you trace that back the way I did in that intro? Would you trace that, that those conclusions through some of our other results and say that this is um, um, maybe a lack of confidence in the short-term arrival of institutional money um, and a lack of confidence, let's say, in the clear path Bitcoin has to grow? Well, I guess it wasn't about Bitcoin, but the clear path that the technology has to grow and, and impact the world. Absolutely. I think that's, a, that's definitely a fair point. Um, I would say that uh, it's definitely played out as well in uh, kind of the current activity and willingness to, to purchase some of the other coins which do exist. Obviously, mm -hmm. if you're out there thinking that something's overvalued, you're not going to start splashing the cash. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know to what extent uh, some of the broader kind of headwinds across the, the markets more generally. So, you know, we've long been predicted that um, we could be entering bear market conditions at some point. Um, and uh, I don't know to what extent that's factoring into people's mm -hmm. sort of thoughts around mm -hmm. entering into a new space that perhaps they don't necessarily trust as much mm -hmm. either. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there's there's certainly a, a link that can be drawn between, you know, if you if you trust um, or lack in trust of um, the, the factors which underpin these elements um, and you've maybe not necessarily got the confidence that uh, prices are going to go the right way, um, then obviously, yeah, you're not, you're not going to be trading in the, the, the near future, certainly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I would go and, and say similarly for the Coindesk audience, I think that they're a lot of the time saying, well, 
you know, the bear market has been here for a while now, you know, maybe it found its bottom. So, but I think no one really knows yet, right? There's a lot of people who say you can go much further. The bleeding has only started. Uh, all kinds of other shakedowns have to happen. And there's others who say, okay, it's about to turn around. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess time will tell, time yeah. will tell. Um, so moving from prices to um, an interesting one uh, that we saw with stable coins. So this one, I think we can relate a little bit to the question we asked about hodling or um, um, actively trading or, you know, a bit of both. Um, and we saw pretty similar responses. We asked if participants use stable coins for trading. Now, to give you a brief overview of what that means, um, the, the um, stable coins are generally used on a lot of exchanges when you see price action in Bitcoin or other coins to take a cash position, a neutral position of a coin that will not fluctuate and up and down. So you can basically sell uh, peaks by uh, dips. And a lot of people use it. It's a very easy way to go in and out of the market. And our answers were, and, you know, sort of sophisticated traders do this pretty regularly. Um, and we saw that it was a, a, a fairly common, um, fairly common practice on the CoinDesk side, but not zero. Uh, an important number of market watch people do this. Um, and you know, it's 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 it's. It's not a huge number, it's definitely not the majority, but that there are that many people from the market watch side of the aisle um, that are that know about this. Um, you know, even on the Coindesk side, it was not a, a hugely um, um, practiced um, uh, maneuver or move. It's out there in the industry, it's not all of our respondents that do it, but it definitely happens. Um, but that there were market watch people that go in and out of stable coins to trade, I thought was really fascinating. Absolutely. Um, I think certainly if you park the proportion of each audience that uh, aren't currently trading, so wouldn't have a, a use for um, stablecoin in this uh, particular instance, um, actually I think the uh, the two graphs get a lot closer together um, across the two. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, you would think that perhaps there can be a, a degree of extra trust in, in something like a stablecoin a bit more. Um, of familiarity, because obviously linking to um, kind of assets that people will be a little more used to and maybe feel a little bit more tangible, mm -hmm. that maybe that kind of thing could be uh, a means of increasing someone's confidence going forwards um, in actually starting to invest. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well that, that brings us to sort of the end of the differences um, in the audiences, and and they were important. There were some similarities in there, but what we saw was 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 interesting um, differences, an interesting delta to chew on, and and some interesting conclusions we can draw from these differences. Um, but there were similarities. There were important similarities. Um, similarities that I think um, speak a bit to um, the technology, speak a bit to what's going on in the space. Um, and and let's get right into them because uh, they were really fascinating. The first one um, was about Fed coins. So we went from stable coins now. These are similar. They're backed by a um, fiat currency, a sovereign currency, but issued by the central bank itself. So not like Tether, which is uh, issued by a startup. 
um, or uh, other coins that are that are issued by exchanges and 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 all the varying types of, of stable coins that are out there. This would be a, a coin issued by the Federal Reserve in America or the Bank of Japan if it was a, 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 a Japanese coin. Um, and this was pretty fascinating. So the we asked two questions related to this. Um, the first one is, if a large central bank issued a crypto cryptocurrency, would you be interested in holding it? Um, neither audience was very interested at all. Um, the percentage of those who were interested was about the same. The percentage of those who were not interested was about the same. But the majority were not interested. Um, now, this I'm sure it's for different reasons, uh, totally different reasons. Um, so what would you speculate are the reasons for the market watch audience to have not been interested in a Fed coin? I suppose some of the, some of that could actually stem from um, actually the question itself in that um, maybe we uh, could have specified a little bit more around mm -hmm. uh, which central banks we would include. Um, mm -hmm. Perhaps not having the detail in there around um, mm -hmm. whether it was one that people would necessarily trust more yeah, than the other. Yeah, that yeah, might yeah, have contributed yeah. to some of the yeah. um, lack of certainty. Mm -hmm. um, as well as kind of broader details around what that might entail. Mm -hmm. um, but I think certainly from a market watch uh, sort of audience perspective, it was relatively consistent with um, the broader mm -hmm. kind of uncertainty maybe around um, crypto mm -hmm. um, and uh, where they might go. Uh, but then from a Coindesk perspective, what would you? Um, well, what I thought was interesting was more Coindesk people were interested in a federal mm. uh, centrally bank issued cryptocurrency uh, than the market watch folks, which to me it kind of makes my head spin because I think a lot of you know the the a lot of the people I know in this space that was the point. I don't want a Fed coin, you know. We we kind of don't want a, a, a central bank issued currency. I wouldn't say that is that continues to be a major vein of thought in the industry, or or a, a majority vein of thought. It's a major vein of thought. A lot of people are. That's the reason why they're in the industry. That's the reason why they got involved in the first place. Um, it is it is a, an important intellectual um, um, pillar of the industry for the for the crypto people. Um, I wouldn't say it's it's widely held by everyone, but a lot of especially the early people um, got involved for those political reasons. Um, they didn't like quantitative easing. They didn't like a lot of monetary policy. They definitely don't like targeted inflation, and so want to get back to a uh, not a debt based uh, system, but an actual you know asset based, like having value. Um, so um, I was surprised that, frankly, that much of the Coindesk audience was, was willing and accepting of, of, a, of a federally, you know, a federal coin. I, I think that the, if the question was stable coins, it would have made sense. Yeah, sure. I mean, they like to trade, they like to go in and out, so that makes a lot of sense. But a central bank issued coin seemed to be a little, a bit of a, um, uh, it's an idiosyncrasy of the of our audiences that I didn't see coming, mm. and and so it surprised me. I thought you'd have had at least reversed. I thought there would have been more market watch people uh, interested in it than CoinDesk audience, but in, in fact it wasn't the case. More CoinDesk, a small amount, more CoinDesk people were interested in this coin. It might be because you have so many people interested in the technology, they want to see how it goes, they're interested in experimentation, they want to see and may, maybe they think it'll help other coins get adoption or, or whatever the reasons that we can't go that far into the reasons. Uh, we can we can speculate, but we can't we can't nail it down necessarily. Um, but it did surprise me. Uh, that was one that really stood out and and that that there was that both shared a majority no appetite 
didn't surprise me, but that that many CoinDesk audience members said, yeah, bring on a FedCoin. Yeah, surprising, okay. really surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Um, along the same lines, we asked if uh, a physical US dollar was ever replaced with a cryptocurrency. So that doesn't mean a FedCoin coming out, but it means an actual upending of the world order uh, and, and, bit, and, and the US dollar no longer being sort of the reserve currency of, of the entire global economy. Um, we asked, would it be Bitcoin? Would it be a Fedcoin, like we just mentioned in the last question? Or would it be some other cryptocurrency? Um, so the crypto US dollar, the Fedcoin uh, for the Coindesk audience was the number one answer. Um, that was along the similar lines of, of being surprised uh, to the previous question. Um, I think if you'd have asked a lot of the, the Coindesk audience back in 2013, 2014, that answer would have been very, very different. So I think it speaks a bit to the change in the audience. Um, um, I'm guessing, but I think it does. Um, and, and I found that to be, uh, you know, pretty, pretty strange. Uh, so, and that, you know, still over, you know, over 20% of the Coindesk audience said Bitcoin would eventually overtake, um, if a coin did, it would be Bitcoin, um, and and that made a lot of sense to me. Uh, it's that first result that that seemed a little strange. Uh, so, did that surprise you about the CoinDesk audience? Was that something that you would have uh, um, not seen coming? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I actually would have thought that potentially um, they would have been a bit more aligned to the market yeah. watch audience that uh, was mm. overwhelmingly of the opinion that no. Probably yeah. never going to happen, yeah. but uh, we'll see a cryptocurrency replacing the uh, the physical US dollar. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's perhaps uh, sort of testament to just the broader faith in the, yeah. the crypto industry mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. the kind of uptake that yeah. we're seeing. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we placed no kind of timeline or anything on this. No, so, no, it was um, a kind of a futurism question. But but that that many market watch people, I'd say, said more likely that a cryptocurrency other than Bitcoin would would overtake it, which which I thought was also um, strange, you know, strange. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. But, you know, um, they're you know, different audiences, mm. you know, different audiences. Um, so moving on to another similarity now, and this one is an important one, um, really about the limitations of the technology. Um, so what are the obstacles that are facing it? So when I wrote this question, um, I was almost sure, um, almost positive the answers would be different. Um, but in fact, they were not. They came out really similar. So we asked, what is the most important obstacle to cryptocurrency growth and adoption? And we asked, is it regulations? Is it the custody question? So how to secure these assets? Um, is it the volatility? Um, is it the centralization of mining? Um, is it the centralization of mining um, or other? And we had a general agreement on this one. So my guess, my guess going into that, and you know, you, it shows you know how 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 sometimes you're, you're you can be totally off. My guess was um, centralization of mining was going to come out as a much larger answer from the CoinDesk side. I, I had a feeling that would be uh, where we got a lot of answers. I was completely wrong. Um, CoinDesk audience and MarketWatch audience saw it the same, that the big boss in this game is 
the government. Mm. It is regulations. That is the boss that that can you know stop the whole show. Um, I I kind of imagined a more flippant attitude amongst the CoinDesk audience. I thought they would just say, ah, you know, we're really worried about centralization of mining, and 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 that's the real obstacle here. Uh, the obstacles in the tech, it's in the game theory, it's in the ability of these things to scale and grow the way we all hope they do. Um, so that surprised me. Uh, I, I had a feeling the coin, the, the market watch audience was going to say regulations. That I, I felt going in, but I was surprised. I was surprised. Um, going into it, did you have any uh, thoughts on on how it would shake out? Did you? see the centralization of mining as an obstacle that, that probably the Coindesk audience would, would, would lean to? Uh, for the, the Coindesk audience, mm. perhaps, yeah. I did wonder whether um, the, the market watch audience would be um, skewing a little bit more to some of the other areas. And, uh, yeah, certainly the, the difference in volatility, I mean, that uh, skewed slightly higher yeah. for the market watch audience. Yeah. So I think for, for the market watch audience, it was around about 30% compared yeah. to just under 20% for, for Coindesk. Um, and given everything else that uh, we'd seen kind of in the survey, it wasn't altogether um, surprising that uh, that degree of uncertainty and risk associated with the volatility um, was uh, definitely uh, borne out as one of the big obstacles that they were seeing. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was certainly interesting that uh, regulation was um, still the number one for uh, the market watch audience as well. Whether they took that as a alternative meaning maybe so um, perhaps for the market watch audience to convince some of them to get into the market mm -hmm. they need more regulation mm -hmm. whereas perhaps the coin disc audience is actually well no more regulation could kill this industry mm -hmm. and really take it away from what it was supposed to be in the first place I yeah. don't know. Um, that's, that's a really interesting read yeah that could actually explain it that, mm -hmm. that, that they almost perceived the answers from a different side mm -hmm. um, that one saw Regulation is enabling, and if it isn't done, it won't work. And another saw it as um, um, an obstacle that uh, could stop it from growing properly. Sure. Yeah. One saying it can help grow it properly, one saying it could stop it from growing properly. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I never thought of that. Um, and, and, you know, the follow-up question on that was the SEC um, statement they released on Ethereum um, in June which was really historic. Um, no security has ever mutated and evolved into a commodity in the history of the world. This was a, a first time ever. And for the SEC to have come out and said that, it was a big moment. Um, they basically benchmarked um, what is required uh, for these assets to truly be these decentralized entities that don't fall under SEC purview. Um, so they sort of hinted that at the sale, it was a security, but it was no longer one because of the way it had grown. Um, and if you follow uh, a lot of the questioning, so we'll have uh, Jake Clayton at our event, uh, Consensus Invest, on November 27th, uh, where he'll be talking a bit more about this. He has sort of been saying and telegraphing uh, in all media interviews since, this is the SEC chairperson, um, that, uh, in fact, there is now guidance. There's a lot of people saying we need guidance. There's regulatory clarity is what you're hearing a lot. So we asked the question, is there regulatory clarity after this announcement? Um, and both audiences came out the same. Uh, they said, no, more clarity is required. Um, you know, for the crypto audience from Coindesk, we kind of thought that they would have been reading all of these 
signs that are becoming more and more clear. What they said was already historic and unprecedented. Um, and, you know, how much else can they do besides enforcement, you know, going around and locking people up, you know, or fining people at least for not doing uh, what Ethereum did or, or failing to do what Ethereum did. Um, you know, it surprised me. It surprised me that the answers would be that similar. So I thought there we would be seeing, you know, the difference between an audience plugged in listening to every single thing the chairman says um, and then an audience who maybe says, okay, it's sort of still up in the air. Um, but that the results came out so similar was a, was a big surprise. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'd agree with that. And, yeah, whether there was, um, again, coming back to that point, whether uh, for the market watch audience they still feel like they need... Um, more in the way of clarity or maybe just weren't engaged enough on um, necessarily knowing um, how much else might be required. Um, yeah, to have the results as similar across the board was uh, was very surprising. I mean, we were not far shy of uh, sort of 95% of the, the MarketWatch audience that uh, was believing that uh, there was not really enough regulatory clarity around cryptocurrencies. So. Mm -hmm. Um, so final question that we'll be covering in this uh, session, and I think an interesting one. Um, I, you know, I have a bit of regrets on the methodology we used on this one because I really love the question. Uh, I find the answers to be a little confusing. Um, so I wish I, we had a do-over for this one, but nevertheless, um, we asked, would you rather? Uh, would you rather have uh, $1,000 of, $1,000 worth of um, we said a blue chip stock, gold, Bitcoin, or in a mutual fund. Um, Bitcoin did really well. Bitcoin did really well in the market watch numbers. Of course, it was by far the most in, in uh, the Coindesk survey and gold coming in second and, and um, the uh, you know fourth choice uh, in general was the... Um, in general was the mutual fund, so clearly a little less risk, uh, a little more risk appetite on the Coindesk audience than, than on the MarketWatch audience. Um, but nevertheless, the, the, you know, between first and second choice, Bitcoin won in the, in the MarketWatch survey, which I thought really fascinating, that they would rather $1,000 now worth of Bitcoin, um, first or second choice, than anything else. Um, did that surprise you? It did, yes. Yeah, I thought um, people would still have faith in kind of blue chip stocks yeah. and, mm -hmm. okay, maybe some of the other options were a little bit more um, sort of steady and uh, and less likely to dramatic growth perhaps. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, for, for Bitcoin to um, come through quite as popular, given everything else that we'd seen around, okay, a little bit of uncertainty around entering, maybe feeling that some of the prices outside of Bitcoin, at least, uh, were, were overvalued. Um, it was definitely surprising to see uh, that come through uh, quite as much, mm -hmm. actually, as it did. Um, and it was a similar kind of pattern, I guess, with the, the Coindesk audience, yeah. that um, yeah. Bitcoin, clear number one, but yep. uh, actually mm -hmm. blue chip stocks were probably um, sort of second in yep. that list. Yep. Um, was there anything that kind of surprised you in... On that kind of side. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really surprised that that you know, based on if you went just first and second and waited those, Bitcoin wins the market watch audience, and mm -hmm. and uh, I kind of thought it might be more like a third place um, instead of first place. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it just lost the first choice to the blue chip stock, um, but made up for it in the second choice, and uh, and I thought that was was not what I expected, and and. 
shows clear sort of alignment here, you know, that, that the audiences were not that different. Um, you know, I think, that, so my regret is that we, we gave choice. I said, I, I, I think we should have made it an absolute, uh, you know, which would you rather and make them choose one and then we could have gotten uh, mm. maybe a more clear uh, idea. But nevertheless, um, had we just done first choice, uh, it was not that different. Uh, overwhelmingly on the CoinDesk side, it was it was Bitcoin, um, but a lot of people on the market watch side were into uh, Bitcoin, so that that was interesting. Um, so all of these results can be downloaded uh, both at CoinDesk.com and on MarketWatch. Um, we have created a PDF with all of the slides and an intro that summarizes uh, the narrative and and, and findings. Um, and uh, you can grab both of these on either of our sites. We, we got together to produce the final copy, so either of the sites you'll be downloading the same file. Um, and one more time before we sign off uh, from this session, I would like to thank our sponsor, uh, Zion Trades. Zion Trades has made this uh, survey possible, and uh, we're thankful to them, and um, hope to be bringing more of these comparative studies in the future. Thanks for your time, and thanks for listening.